For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another Baseball America Draft Podcast. I'm Carlos Galazzo, joined, as always, on these draft podcasts by Peter Flaherty. Uh, what's going on, Peter? How you doing, man? Not much. Everything's going well. I, I can't say I've been as productive as you today on the um, on the personal fitness front, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to break down another division. Yeah, I'm glad we actually were just talking briefly about this before we hopped on, but I'm glad to have another another gym guy at the office. I know Jeff, I don't know if he's like currently on his workout grind, but he previously was on the workout grind and it sounds like you're, you're a big gym guy too. So, you know, it's nice to get in there, break up the day, get a little energy, uh, feel like you're getting strong. That's fun. Um, uh, Jeff's a big hiking guy. He got, from mm. at least from uh, in our recent conversations, he's a big um, long walk through the woods, uh, clear the head type of guy, which, which yeah, how- I respect. I, I have not done a lot of the solo clear the head hiking. Mostly when I do hiking, it's with like the wife or some buddies for like doing some sort of mountain weekend. But I really do like hiking. It's it's nice being out in nature. It's a good workout. Uh, how, how was the hiking up there in Massachusetts? I feel like I'm very spoiled uh, living in basically North Carolina and Virginia. There's lots of really good hiking, even if you're not right up there on the mountains. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm not a huge... Uh... I, I'm like the furthest thing from like an outdoorsman type of guy, like <laughs> anti bear grills, but there, I mean, it's scenic. There, there are some nice mountains and manageable, like manageable family type of hike. So um, my hypothetical kids one day, and hopefully my, my girlfriend will eventually become my wife and maybe we'll uh, maybe that's when I'll, I'll, I'll break in the hiking shoes a little But uh, yeah. I, okay, right now I'm with you just kind of, uh grinding it out in the gym absolutely that's awesome man well also i didn't know i'm not sure if you're a fantasy football guy but we do have the football season cranking up both on college and nfl does that uh does that appeal to you at all i feel like the longer i've been at ba the less and less i've cared about just other sports in general and as a unc alum i pretty much entirely given up on college football but they did win their first their first week. Uh, but where are you at on football in general? And are you a fantasy football player? So it's funny. One huge fantasy football guy, NFL. I like one of my buddies with, with whom I went to high school, he just made the Seahawks 53 man roster. So like, I'll be That's pulling. Incredible. I'll Who's yeah, that? Shout out to, to Jake Bobo, uh, okay. from the pride of Belmont Hill, but I guess I'll be pulling for the Seahawks, but I'm a huge fantasy guy. Um, I've had the same, eight team league with with my closest friends from college for a while now oh, so eight teamer wow. it's a, yeah, those ones it, are i'm in an eight team league and i'm always terrible in that league i feel like every my roster i look at it and every year i'm like man my team is stacked but i guess that's the case for every team in the eight team league and i'm only in two dynasty leagues at this point and so i never do a full redraft um so that's kind of interesting to have been in a few of those for going on like four and maybe six or seven years for those two leagues. Uh, and one of mine, I'm coming out of a rebuild. So hopefully we can be competitive this year. But <laughs> that's, I'm that's also assuming, Peter, you're probably a Patriots fan, right? I'm no. So I'm, 
I'm not yes. a Pats fan. Not, <laughs> That's I, good. I actually, That's awesome. Like, no, it's ironic. I actually grew up like really dislike, and I still do. I really dislike the Patriots. Like I don't. Okay. I, like I root against them every week. I know uh, I liked you. <laughs> no matter who they play. So uh, <laughs> that, this might be news to Jeff if he listens. But uh, no, Sorry, I'm, Jeff. I'm not a Pats guy at all. I'm with you on the A team leagues because every team kind of comes out stacked in their own way, and then it could go any any which way. And then on the college side, I'm an unfortunate BC football fan. Um, I'm still clinging on to the to the 2007 <laughs> season when I was eight years old with Matt Ryan, which it was their best season in recent memory, and they still not even recent memory at this point, and they still <laughs> somehow choked it away. They started off, I think it was nine and zero, and then they lost to I'll never forget it. I was with my dad, or they were eight and zero, and then they lost to a pretty mediocre Florida State team and a bad Maryland <laughs> team, and. They went to like this, the sports bowl. So this was 2007. You said, what were you <laughs> nine years old? I was eight years old. I was, it was <laughs> literally the best, the best season of my life was 2007, which is so sad. And this year they had the easy, like the easiest schedule by, by at least that's what the metric said in the FBS and they lost the Northern <laughs> Illinois at home. Um, and they've got an interesting matchup this Saturday with Holy cross. So uh, I'll be, I, I will be pulling for my alma mater, the Crusaders. Nice. All right. Well, I, I'm sure we can probably just lament about how bad our college football teams are throughout the year because UNC, they're not fooling me. They've, they've tried to fool me before. We've been ranked highly before, and we always seem to crumble. So uh, I'm not buying it. But uh, I guess <laughs> we can we can move forward with the, uh, with the football talk or leave that behind us, I should say. Uh, we're about to wrap up an entire league here today on our draft reviews. We've got the AL West on deck a bunch of fun draft class classes here um it feels kind of weird to be about halfway done with these these have been a blast and i'm excited to dive into uh, some of these today with you peter we've got so this division was actually looking pretty competitive maybe about a month ago ish uh houston has really come on strong the mariners have really come on strong i guess since early mid-august uh, and it looked like we were heading for this really tight three-team race. The Rangers are trying to make that a little bit less interesting with their play basically since September. Um, but I think this is one of two divisions with three teams that at least have 50% or better odds to make the playoffs. The other one is the, the AL East. Um, so it's a fun one, at least in terms of competition. I think the draft classes are fun as well, just given how some of these teams are spread out in terms of draft order and draft capital. Um, but based on the standings today, as we record this on September 7th, we'll be kicking it off with the Astros. Uh, like we've done on all the other episodes, I'll just run through our top five round picks for the Astros, and then we can kind of cut it up and talk about players we like, players who are interesting, and just overall thoughts on the class. Uh, but the Astros in the first round took Bryce Matthews, a shortstop out of Nebraska. In the second round, they took UCLA right-hander Alonzo Treadwell. In the third round, they took Georgetown right-hander Jake Bloss. In the fourth round, they took UNC Charlotte outfielder Cam Fisher. And then in the fifth round, they took Rock Canyon High School shortstop Chase Jaworski, who's out of Colorado. Uh, so that's what we're looking at for the Astros, who do have all their picks this year for the first time in what seems like a long time. Those penalties they had a few years ago um, really hampered them. But do you have any general... Uh, thoughts on the Astros, Peter, um, for me, I think on draft day, they probably had, 
I don't think on draft day, day one, we had any really shocking picks, but I do think that Bryce Matthews was maybe the first player that I kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit just because I wasn't expecting him. But certainly in terms of draft history, that's not a crazy off the board pick for back in the first round. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Houston's one of those teams that are in a similar air, I guess, as the the Rays, I guess the Mariners a little bit to an extent, the Dodgers, um, the Orioles, teams where, um, you know, they're pretty data centric and in each pick they make, you're, you're kind of a little more interested in to see if you can find anything under the hood. Bryce Matthews was a guy that he was a, a big time helium name, I think, in draft circles after the first at least from what we were hearing first month and a half to two months of the college season at Nebraska. Um, He had a solid, I I think his best, I'd say collegiate stint up until this junior year was after his freshman year in the Northwoods, he had over 300. Um, And then he went back to Nebraska and the Northwoods and was, was solid in both Uh, the swing and miss at Nebraska was, I think the, the biggest issue in the approach, which, he refined some this year, finished the year hitting 360 with 11 doubles and 20 home runs. Um, walked almost as much as he struck out, still chased a little bit, uh, but he's a data darling, super, super athletic, um, super quick hands. Um, exit velocity numbers were, were really, really loud, and he's a plus runner. So a big-time upside pick. I think that coming into the draft, I viewed him more as like a, a guy who was going to go in the middle slash late part of day one. Um, and I'm with you that in watching the draft unfold that Matthews was the first pick that I was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, this is somewhat surprising. So um, mm-hmm. the Matthews at 28. Yeah, I, think it's a, I think it's kind of a statement of this year's draft that that pick happened at 28. Really, there, there wasn't anything too surprising prior to that, which is a bit uncommon. Right. No, exactly. And I really like the two college arms taken after. Um, honestly, Jake Bloss might be my favorite that got taken um georgetown right-hander uh two i'd say the two plus breaking balls uh was i I, he was excellent in the coastal plain league last summer where where he was up to 98 um was up to 97 this year with the fastball which had a 30 percent miss rate which was excellent uh slider uh, the the curveball i'd say shape wise and and depth wise is the better of the two breaking balls um, but the slider got more misses. It's a little bit shorter um, and it has plus potential. So he's got, I'd say three plus pitch potential down the road. Um, and I kind of had him as a top five to seven round guy in the middle of April. And um, he exceeded that by a, a, a very, very wide margin. I think he's got solid three starter type upside. He moves well, um, pretty physical lower half ease in the delivery i really like this pick a lot um and then mm. with treadwell you know you get the yeah, six eight well like him a lot yeah you get the six eight towering right-handed pitcher um invisible fastball up to 96 good breaking ball he's a strike thrower i'd say that the ish the the one little i, I don't want to call it an issue because so many guys now have dealt with injuries i think the one issue for treadwell has been staying healthy um and being able to yep. stay healthy and put together a a full season as a starter um, professionally, which, which I think we'll be able to do. And then upside wise, it's not as, it's not unbelievably crazy upside more like I'd say fourth starter type, but I mean, Mm -hmm. with the Astros, it's really good clay for them to work with. So I, I, 
I think that they got two really good college arms back to back in the second and third. Absolutely. I think it could have easily been the case if, if Trader Will is healthy for the entire year that he went uh, a little bit sooner than the 61st overall pick. He's, he's a fascinating one to me because in high school, I never really got to see him pitch uh, because he did have Tommy John surgery, missed his junior year in high school, didn't pitch a ton as a senior. I'm not sure he pitched at all as a senior. So he has a pretty lengthy track record of injuries going back to high school. He dealt with elbow and back injuries as well. Um, I guess I already mentioned the Tommy John, so that's the elbow injury. But he was one of the better strike throwers in the class. To your point about the invisible fastball, it, it seems like like it's not a pitch that has massive velocity. It's low 90s, touches 95. Um, but even with those long levers, it's great carry. I think the fact that he releases the ball so far off the rubber, close to the plate, the extension that he gets helps the pitch play up. Um, and just the touch and feel and the body control, well-rounded pitch mix, it's multiple breaking balls, really solid 12-6 curve ball. Again, a solid changeup as well. And we put 60 control on him. So that's a lot of stuff to really like. And, and to your point, I don't think it's the most massive upside, but if he gets into pro ball and starts throwing harder and, and all the traits that he previously or that he already has to start playing up even more. I think that's, it's really exciting. So I'm really hoping that he stays healthy moving forward because he's certainly a, a really advanced pitcher. Yeah, without a doubt. And then I think on the college bat side, another one um, who kind of had a similarly explosive year as Bryce Matthews was um, Cam Fisher outfielder from Charlotte, super, super physical six two two ten. He's more physical than, than his height weight listing shows. He's got massive forms, big time, Big time, uh, big time strength in his upper body. Hit 30 home runs this year at Charlotte. Hit 348, more walks and strikeouts. Um, and so far, the early returns in in pro ball and in affiliated baseball have been have been really encouraging. He's played 27 game or 28 games between the complex and Fayetteville. He played one game at the complex. So focusing it on Fayetteville, he's hitting 274, um, six doubles, three home runs, but also a pair of triples. Swipe four bases. The approach has been really good, chasing a little bit with spin, but, I mean, he's hammering heaters as he's done. It's plus raw power easily, um, borderline double plus to the pull side. He's going to be able to stick in a corner outfield spot. Um, I think that that's a pick that they can be really, really happy about, um, at least early on. Yeah, that's a good one. One of the picks that I was intrigued with was Jaron Williams, a shortstop out of Toledo. They got in the ninth round, signed him for one hundred forty-seven thousand. You stole, you stole my, uh, you stole my middle round guy. I like. Oh well, well, steals are his thing, so I guess it's fitting that I stole him from you because he did lead Division One with forty-nine stolen bases. It's double plus speed. He was a consistent table setter for Toledo for a few years. Uh, this past spring, he hit over four hundred. Career high 14 home runs. Uh, it doesn't sound like home runs are going to be a huge factor in his game with Wood at the next level. But the fact that he was named all defensive team at shortstop, he has that speed. He has that sort of performance. Um, he, he's an intriguing pick. I'm kind of curious what you think about him as a hitter, what sort of impact you think he's going to have, um, if he can add any value uh, before he gets on the bases, essentially, like like how much damage, what kind of hit tool. Um, but just the tool set, the speed, the production, he was a fun one. And to see him there in the ninth, it seems like solid value for the tools that you're getting with him for that up the middle premium position guy. It sounds like he can stick there. Yeah. I mean, he defends well at shortstop. They've used him. Um, they've used him, I'd say more at second professionally, at least from what I saw in, in digging 
um, digging a little bit on him last night and the day before. But the speed is obviously really, really exciting with Williams. Um, I'd say above average bat to ball skills, but I'm with you. The impact I think is going to be a little iffy at the next level. It's going to be a guy who, I mean, on balls down the line and in the gaps, he'll be able to take an extra base. He'll stretch what would be a single for most guys into a double, a double into a triple and so on. I think it's probably five to five to 10 ish home run upside. 10 is probably even aggressive. I'd say like five to seven home run upside, but he's already shown off his, his double plus speed. He's seven for seven in stolen base attempts at Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had one of the quietly, one of the better seasons I'd say of anyone in division one baseball this year at over 400 for Toledo's you mentioned 34 extra base hits, um, stole 49 bases. Um, really, really fun player plays the game really fast. Um, again, the impact, um, I, I think is the biggest question mark with him, but I think that I, I don't want to the Enrique Bradfield comp is such a dangerous one because it's 80 grade <laughs> breaking. It's almost like a speed grade in and of itself. But I think that Williams is one of those unique players that speed alone can be his carrying tool. Um, mm-hmm. He can run his way. I'd say up through the ranks professionally, if he can just hit enough, the approach has been good so far um in pro ball but he's gonna have to really really hit um impact aside he's just gonna need to hit so um he's another fun one and then looking further down the astros board um jackson niza from louisiana is a really i'd say interesting one to me he he burst onto the scene a while ago um as a true freshman um pitching in the necbl he was i mean he had a 180 era with 49 k's to three walks and 30 innings and then everything took a little bit of a step back. He's always been a strikeout guy. Um, I think that it's it's someone in the Astros system that they can be really excited working with because he's got good stuff. Um, he's he's he has a track record of of um, of starting and and I think that in the late rounds, I think that they got him for one fifty. Um, I think I think getting him just in your system is is an intriguing one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one one name that I wanted to mention at the end, and this is more kind of just a, a funky draft outcome this year, but uh, their 20th rounder, shortstop Pascanel Ferreras, he was the last player drafted this year, and I thought that was phenomenal because he also wound up being the 500th player on the BA 500. So just the the <laughs> random pairing of being Mr. Irrelevant on, on both our draft list and in the draft itself was incredible i don't even know what the odds of that would be but i'm pretty confident that's never going to happen again so i'm kind of soaking that one up but he's kind of an interesting player in his own right he's smaller Uh, he's been a consistent producer for western carolina a shortstop now not a great runner it sounds like he's probably not going to stick at that position in the long term and he doesn't have a great track record with wood but he was kind of one of these players who i had talked to some scouts who were intrigued with him as a day three guy, um, but are a little skeptical about the amount of impact that he's going to make. So I think it's probably an uphill battle for him to get to big league value. Um, But I essentially just wanted to talk about the fact that he was BA 500, number 500, and the last player in the draft, number 614 this year. So that was fun. I was going to say, I remember on day three of the draft, 
Um, I remember you pointing that out and being rightfully so super fun. <laughs> I thought, it, was, I thought it was super, super cool as well. Um, and, it was and a much needed point. adrenaline spike for me at that point. Got the <laughs> I was going to say at that point, you're probably running on fumes. So, uh, <laughs> similar to uh similar endorphin rush to a workout, but, um, <laughs> with Pascal, like you mentioned, I mean, he's been the face of the Western Carolina program for the last three years. Um, three hit career, nearly three forty hitter in college um with metal showed well as you mentioned there's really no wood bat track record i mean he was a two-time um yd red sock on the cape but really little performance the approach is that both the approach and bat to ball skills are below average um impact also below average and i don't think he'll stick at shortstop but again as you mentioned it's more just fun that uh mm-hmm. he was their last selection and the last selection of the draft as well as the last guy on the the ba board yeah, last thing I have to say about the Astros draft is this was the first draft under new GM Dana Brown. He obviously has a pretty strong track record uh, based on his time with the Braves, a lot of successful drafts there. I was interested to see if there was any significant shift in in philosophy, but it does seem like Dana's general philosophy, philosophy of just being more data-driven. I remember when he came and started kind of running the show in the scouting department there, uh, there was a lot of talk about how the Braves were going from more of this old-school scouting approach to more of a hybrid um, where data would be valued a lot more. It seems like, to your point earlier, um, that's, that's kind of what the Astros are known for. Uh, it seems like maybe that's what this draft is as well. Uh, another fun note with this draft is 25% of the players they selected came out of California, which is a pretty significant uh, portion of players. It's, it's not shocking that it's one of the big three talent-producing states. Uh, California, Texas, and Florida would be those three. But uh, it's kind of interesting that they went so heavy with California guys, although just one of those California players was, was taken within the top six rounds. So um, those are kind of my thoughts on the Astros. Any final comments, Peter? No, that was interesting about the West coast flavor. Actually, I didn't pick up on that in my initial dive into the class, but um, I mean, especially at the prep level, at least what, what I've seen, all these West coast kids are super, super polished. They kind of, Mm. they kind of play their, the game and they, they have their own brand of baseball. They, they like to play sometimes. I really like how they play. So well, um, that's I, I you can I'm surprised that you like it. I'm not a massive fan of it, but it's probably also because there have been some players who I think should be turning on the ball more consistently and hitting for more impact. Garrett Mitchell, maybe number one on this list. And I hated seeing him kind of slap the ball the other way and, and just run out of the box. Um, but what also is interesting is a lot of the players that took out of California were college California players. And when I think of California, it seems like a lot of the talent that comes out is like the high school players and, and more and more, it seems like the high school players in California are being recruited out of state to go towards um, power schools in the SEC and the ACC. So it was interesting to see the number of college California players specifically. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah. I, I like the, I like the West coast feel. Okay, cool. Player. Well, we don't have to agree on everything. <laughs> I don't hate it. I just am not a bunting fan. I don't know if we've talked about this in the podcast, me and you, but just bunting kind of. Oh, I feel they do play very small. They're, they're slash and dash move. I mean, they're the type to like bunt at area code. So uh, (laughs) exactly. See, I I hate that. Bunting (laughs) at area codes just uh, drives me crazy, but you know, some players, I think it's a real tool for them. So I I can't entirely hate on it, but I'll, I'll hate on it just a little bit. All right. Our next team we have here is the Seattle Mariners, maybe one of the most fascinating teams in the draft overall, just given the number of picks they had. They picked at number 22 with their normal first round pick. They had a 
at PPI pick at number 29 for Julio Rodriguez getting a rookie of the year. And they also had the first supplemental first round pick at number 30. So three picks in the top 30, um, significantly more pool money to throw around than their counterparts picking in the final third of the draft. Um, we can talk through how they use that money, but to run through their, their picks in the top five rounds, they took Colt Emerson shortstop out of Ohio um, at 22. They took Virginia high school outfielder Johnny Farmello at number 29. They took Georgia shortstop Ty Pete at number 30. In the second round, they took William and Mary third baseman Ben Williamson. In the third round, they took Wake Forest right-hander Teddy McGraw. In the fourth round, they took Texas high school outfielder Aiden Smith. And in the fifth round, they took Wichita State shortstop Brock Robin. So a ton of players to talk through here. I guess more than anything, I'm curious, what would your strategy be, Peter, if you were kind of heading up a scouting department and you had all of these picks and you had all this draft capital? Would you play it straight up? Would you try and cut a deal early and just take even more advantage of your money by spreading around throughout the draft? Would you would you do the opposite and spend early, try and float someone down the board to you? Do you, do you think there's one ideal strategy that you would like or do you think it kind of just depends on the board that's available to you? Yeah. I mean, I think it would depend year a year who, you know, who's in the class and, and who might be available in that slot. But I, I, I do like what Seattle did here with getting three pretty prominent high school hitters early on and getting a little aggressive and, and making sure to sign them. Um, I like that approach. I'm kind of in the, at least, especially in this range, um, less so worry about to an extent who I would have in my hypothetical system. Mm-hmm. Just go out and get the best players available and just stack yeah, it and, smart. and and let it and, and let the chips fall how they will um the one thing that i feel like we should note here is seattle did spend the smallest percentage of their bonus pool this year which i feel like is kind of leaving a lot on the table considering the bonus pool they had and where they were picking they spent just 97.7 percent of their bonus pool uh, they had 13 million just over 13 million to spend they spent uh, 12.8 million. So that puts them at the bottom of the table in terms of just overage that you're using. They left quite a bit of money on the table uh, without suffering any real penalties. Although I think in the Mariners case, when you're taking so many high school players early, if you wind up signing those players to less than you expected, maybe that makes sense. Um, just you might need to play it a little bit more safe when you're doing your calculations throughout the draft just knowing that these high school players have a little bit more leverage. So I don't think, I don't say this to, to like bury the Mariners by any means. Um, I just think it's interesting to think through the challenges of kind of making sure you get all your players signed when you do go so high school heavy very early on in the draft, because you really don't want to miss on one of those picks. Um, and to the Mariners credit, uh, they signed every player in their class, except for 20th rounder, William Watson. Yeah, no, and and I, I I'm a huge fan of the trio of high schoolers they took early, um, particularly Colt Emerson. Um, mm. I've been kind of following Emerson rather heavily, I'd say, since the summer of 2021. He was on the um, the Yankees underclass area code team, and and it was him and Kevin McGonigal. Um, the the, the yeah. middle infield was Emerson at short, uh, McGonigal at second. They'd switch off uh, game to game up there. Up the middle, what an absolute third. terror for opposing pitchers to have to pitch to both of those guys in the same lineup. <laughs> and then at third, it was Andre Madunio. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a it was a oh, fun wow. infield, but 
no, I, I love, I, I really, really love Emerson. The hit tool is obviously the calling card with him. He's a, a, a super polished hitter, sound approach, pretty compact swing. The, the barrel feel I think is off the charts. Um, I like the hand action and I mean, he's demonstrated the ability to spray line drives all across the field. And I think that mm. what also appealing with Emerson is, I mean, I think that he's just barely 18. I think he turned 18 a week yeah. after the draft. And so, I mean, there's going to be room just naturally as he progresses in age, um, he'll get more physical and add some more impact there. So I think that while the hit tool is the carrying one, um, there's going to be power that starts to come rather naturally. They're not going to have to do much um, mm-hmm. for to get a little bit more power. Um, and then I think defensively, he might end up at, at second. I think that the actions and, and arm strength and athleticism, everything combined, I think um, that's where he might be best in the future. But again, I think the bat is going to be enough where he hits his way to the majors. Yeah, he's probably been the most impressive high school player Uh, in this class in their pro debut so far he's played in rookie ball for eight games low a for 12 games overall he's hitting 365 495 541 with a pair of homers seven doubles seven stolen bases hasn't been caught yet and 14 walks to 16 strikeouts I think like you had said what, what immediately jumped out to me for Emerson was just the really advanced approach his ability to make strong swing decisions consistently his timing against all pitch types um it's a really consistent easy balanced swing um with not a lot of unnecessary movements at all i was always really impressed by that and and like you said he is very young he has some projection to the body and i think he's got a chance for solid tools across the board i'm curious to see how those tick up in the future if he does add some strength um again i think he has fine actions at shortstop we did hear that, that maybe he slides to third base, maybe he slides to second uh, in the future, but I'm, I'm curious to see how long he is able to stick there. Cause if he adds some strength, the arm strength improves, he gets a little bit quicker. It wouldn't be shocking for me, uh, even if it maybe is more likely for him to move off, but I love high school shortstops and Colt Emerson pretty much does everything on the field really well. And that combined with his very strong pro debut should have Mariners fans pretty, pretty thrilled. No, without a doubt. And, and the early returns, I think, I mean, Emerson, they've been excellent. I mean, um, as you cited the numbers, same with Farmello, who I really like, um, 6'2", 200 lean, I'd say plus hit tool. He, again, a, a guy that the power I think is going to come mm-hmm. uh, as he adds some physicality, double plus runner. Um, I think he's got an above average arm in the outfield where he's a good defender. Um, I, I like that pick. And then with Ty Pete, um, He's a, a super, super exciting player. Um, 6'3", tons of room to add some weight, um, double-plus bat speed, and I think that this spring was the first time that he really got into his power um, in-game. Um, and prior to this spring where he was exclusively a shortstop, he was also a, a used on the mound a little bit where I think he was up to 94, 95. Um, yeah. so he got a plus arm. Super, super athletic. I mean, there's a chance that I don't know if this is where he ends up, but I mean, he could end up in in center field down the road. That's that's how athletic and and twitchy mm-hmm. is the arm strength. It's a ceiling play. I mean, the ceiling with Ty Pete is, I mean, it, it's as high as as a lot of these high school guys in the draft. Um, with the upside that he possesses, there's a little bit of a low floor. I think that 
so far, again, he's hitting, I'd say reasonably well for a high schooler in affiliated baseball, Mm -hmm. three doubles, two home runs, um, striking out a little bit. I think that the biggest issue um, for Pete so far has been a little bit of a, a jumpy, overly aggressive approach. The bats of ball skills have actually been, I'd say pretty good. He's running a 90% in zone contact rate in Modesto so far. Um, but he's, he's chasing a lot and swinging and miss swinging and missing a lot. He's not really, um, missing fastballs all that much, but the chase rate is 49%. Um, and then he's struggling a little bit with spin, um, both seeing it and also, and also chasing it, but that's to be expected is he's a, a newly 18 year old, even newer than Emerson facing, um, professional pitchers. So there's obviously going to be an adjustment period, but, mm-hmm. um, I'd say so far he's shown the flashes of, you know, why Seattle took him so early and he's a very, very exciting player. Yeah. Ty Pete, I think will be extremely fascinating throughout the the draft or the spring season. I feel like he was one of the more polarizing players. There, there are a few teams that seem to like him more around that third round range. I talked to a few scouts who entering the spring preferred him as a prospect on the mound. And when he, he wasn't pitching, they were significantly less interested. And then there always seemed to be just a handful of teams that are really high on him as a hitter, like the upside potential that, that you just broken down really well. And clearly the Mariners were one of those teams. So I'll be really curious to see how the, the hit tool develops, where he settles in defensively, because there's no doubt he's a really impressive athlete. And I think even, even Johnny Farmello too, the more I learned about him athletically, he really graded out well at a number of tests and athletic assessments at the combine. Um, he's a consistent double plus runner. I got to see him quite a bit, just kind of being in my backyard here in Northern Virginia this spring. I like the bat quite a bit. I think he's going to be a good defender in center field. And to your point, I think he showed some solidish raw power um, to where I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that gets the bat kind of knocked out of his hands. So really fun up the middle athletic trio of high school players to kick off a draft that that has a lot to like here so moving down the board further peter are there any players that jump out to you um that you're intrigued with either on day two or day three yeah i was i was gonna say they i i really like the the high schoolers they took and then i also like the the pair of college guys that they took immediately after in the second and third rounds um respectively with ben ben williamson was another on day one where um, the most surprising. Athletes, i was i was really surprised to um i mean he's a great player uh, uh a solid college track record but i was very I, surprised to to hear him i think it makes one. i was surprised when i initially heard it um i think given their kind of draft strategy it makes sense getting getting a college senior who presumably at that time you're thinking you can lock in some savings, but still get a maybe a priority senior sign type. He signed for 1.4 million, um, or excuse me, the slot value was 1.4 million. He signed for 600,000, so that gave them about 836 thousand dollars in uh, savings towards the pool. Which I imagine after you take those first three high school players, um, you feel pretty confident in. And then they also had an, an overslot player in the fourth round as well. So. Definitely was a strategic pick, but I think well, one of the advantages of having all these picks is not only can you get the best college seniors to save money, um, you can just lock that in early and feel comfortable that you you have some of it to, to work with, I would imagine. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, as you mentioned, he was, I think, the best, um, it, it for my money's worth, the best senior sign 
um, in this year's draft. And he was outstanding at William and Mary had a really good, um, albeit brief Cape stint for Hyannis where they actually moved him around the diamond a little bit. Um, he played center left. Uh, they used him at shortstop a little bit. Name of the game with Williamson is a really polished approach and um, plus bat to ball skills. He's hit a little bit of a rut in Modesto. He's, he's injured right now, striking out, um, a little bit more than I think people would have anticipated, but again, the the hit tool combined with with his approach and, and bat to ball skills, that's going to be the the name of the game for for Williamson going forward. There's not a ton of power there. Um, he similar. He, he's going to have to hit his way to the to the bigs, I think. And then with Teddy McGraw in the third, um, coming into this season at least, there was significant day day one buzz i think surrounding him um but unfortunately he missed the the entire uh the entire college season rehabbing from tommy john it's his it's his second time getting the surgery which um is a little bit of a i I think a red flag um there's obviously some risk involved with that pick but i think the fact that you can sign someone for six hundred thousand with that type of upside i mean he was allegedly up to 100 101 in the fall with his fastball with I'd say a plus high spin slider, a low release height. Um, I think that I think signing him and, and even if you reach a little bit for him, maybe in the third round, um, that's you might end up in a few years looking like an absolute genius for getting McGraw um, mm-hmm. for taking the risk and, and taking that leap because he's got as electric stuff as a lot of these college arms in the draft. Yeah, I'm with you entirely. Again, we talked about this on a previous podcast about just a, a couple of these college pitchers who were taken early on day two, who were injured, didn't pitch, represent a, a decent amount of risk. But just given the supply of college pitching in that range of the draft, I'm kind of a fan of, of going high upside and taking some of these guys who, if healthy, could have, to your point, easily been day one targets. Uh, if he was healthy, I think he certainly would have been a pitcher who goes off the board on the first day. And I think the Mariners have also developed a pretty solid reputation recently of, of developing arms. Well, I think the, the hitters are coming along as well for them. There seem to be at this point, just a really well-run organization, uh, solid farm system. They've added a lot of talent to it. So uh, I have some confidence in them getting the most out of McGraw moving forward. Again, I think health is, is obviously your biggest question, but, but he is a guy who maybe could have shown some improvement in control as well. Um, not sure how much just the injury history that he's dealt dealt with has led to those control concerns, but the stuff is, is pretty loud. No big time. And I think in that same breath, when you talk about Seattle and developing arms, there was one guy in the middle of day two that I was really excited to see them take. And that was um, Winthrop right-hander Brody Hopkins. Mm. Um, College numbers aren't really anything to write home about. If you just look at the back of the baseball card, Um, but it is electric, electric stuff from the right side. Uh, fastball up to 98 supplemented by a plus slider. Um, he's unbelievably athletic, six, four, 200 pounds. Um, I think he was, a, I mean, a six, four 60 type of guy, maybe even, even down in the six, three range from what I heard. Um, I mean, he like could athletic enough where in college when he was playing both ways, um, that he played center field. So, um, I think for an organization like Seattle, that has shown, I, I think they're developing their prowess in developing arms. Um, he's a chance to be a really, really fun reliever down the road. If you can just mm-hmm. get the, the command and control refined a little bit, but 
two plus pitches right now. I think that his, his long-term future is in the bullpen, but I think that he could end up being one of the more effective relievers um, down the road. And, and that's a guy you can get a little bit aggressive with and moving him through the system. Um, yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad you mentioned him because he was one of the more interesting players to talk to scouts about throughout the spring, because you look at the numbers and like you said, he wasn't a great performer really as a pitcher or a hitter, but every time I talked to scouts, they really were in love with this guy's stuff, his athleticism, just the, the overall talent. And I think everyone that I had spoken with was really excited about the idea of getting him into a pro development system and trying to kind of refine uh, some of the stuff that he has uh, really on both sides. I talked to scouts who, who liked him as a hitter as well, but I think more probably liked him as a pitcher. So he'll be really exciting to see. And again, one of those guys where if you're just looking at the numbers, you're probably missing a huge picture of who he is. Yeah, no, without a doubt. All right. How about day three? We've got unsurprisingly a large number of college players who went on day three uh, after going early with high school players. Any names jump out to you? One of the most interesting picks for me on day three was William Watson. Um, Just given what he did at the junior college level, uh, fast arm and fastball to mid nineties, solid curveball as well. But he is the only player in this class who didn't get signed. So maybe we shouldn't spend too much time on him, but uh, maybe actually, maybe he could be an interesting Actually, I'm trying to think now. Is he? I don't know if he has another year at JC. I'll need to check this one out. If he could be, if he would be eligible for the draft and follow rules, or if that's just high school players going to JC. Now I'm kind of blanking on that one. I'm almost positive he is. <clears throat> excuse me. He he is eligible for that draft and follow, but. So that makes this one more intriguing. I'll check real quick while you talk about your day threes if you have any. Yeah, there. So, I, I mean, I like Carson Jones from Virginia Tech. Um, they got him in the 15th. And, I mean, with, with Jones, it's big-time raw power. Um, has a, I'd, I'd say, track record with Wood where he, he showed that raw power. I know if you if you look at his baseball reference page or whatnot, he, you only see one home run um, in 2022. But he hit a handful of home runs in the playoffs for Bourne. Um, was a home run derby participant. It's... It's no doubt plus raw power um, to all fields, I think. It really well at Virginia Tech this year. Um, so far, early, not super, super loud at the complex. Um, but again, they're, for everybody, whether you're a high school guy or a, or a college player, there is going to be an adjustment period. But um, big time, I'd say raw power upside, getting him in the 15th round. Um, it, there's really low risk involved. Um, Jacob Sharp is another getting a little bit deeper into day three in the 17th, mm-hmm. um, small, smaller, I'd say build and frame for a catcher, not the, not, not super, super physical, um, but hit really well at UNLV hit three thirty with 13 doubles and 12 home runs, um, really quick and, and kind of buggy whip hands that, that I, I was kind of impressed with and watching him play. Um, I'd say it's a, maybe a tick above average of a throwing arm, um, behind the plate. Um, and then again, has only played 11 games in the complex. So those are a couple of, of deeper guys, not a, not as super exciting a day three as maybe some of these other teams. I really like what they did at the top in the top Mm -hmm. five rounds or so. Um, but a couple of college players who, um, who are relatively, I'd say low risk picks. 
Yeah, and I just checked. William Watson was a sophomore this past year at uh, at San Joaquin Delta College, so I'm not entirely sure if he does qualify if he's going to a four year college. But I also couldn't find out what four year he's he's going to. Um, so I'll have to circle. He's going to USC. Okay, perfect. Then I don't I don't think he qualifies for this uh, in that case. Um, all right, let's move on to Texas. Um, Texas has, in many ways, the exact opposite sort of draft strategy, draft capital um, that the Mariners did. Mariners were picking late in the first round with a bunch of draft capital relative to their uh, picking point. The Rangers were picking in the top five, kind of the elite tier of this year's class, and then also didn't have a second or third round pick. So they had significantly less money uh, than all of the teams picking around them. I was curious to see how they would handle that. And I really love the strategy they went with there. We'll just roll through their picks really quickly. We don't have as many to talk through here. Wyatt Langford was their first overall pick um, at number, their first round pick at number four overall. Now fielder out of Florida. They took Santa Clara right-handed pitcher Skylar Hales in the fourth round, all the way at pick 108 as their second selection in the draft. And then they took Miami right-handed pitcher Alejandro Rosario in the fifth round. Um, so obviously this draft class is going to really revolve around Langford and, and revolve around one player more than I think probably any other draft class this year, because in addition to just that $9.9 million bonus pool they had, despite picking top five, they also went over slot for Langford. And I feel like a number of other teams in their position would have done the exact opposite to try and just maximize the money they had to work with. I mean, Texas, even just a year prior, did something similar when they took Kamar Rocker, didn't pick for a few rounds, and then overslotted Brock Porter. Um, so they did go with a different strategy, and I think just based on where they're picking and with the talent available, I quite like this pick for them because I, I do think that even still, um, Dylan Cruz gets most of the hype, and I think rightfully so. But Wyatt Langford is, is extremely close to him in terms of prospect status, in terms of impact ability, terms of tools, college production. Uh, and I think he was the third best player in this class and they got him at number four. So just overall thoughts on this strategy, uh, Langford in general, or, or we can move down the board if you want as well, Peter. Yeah. I mean, I was a huge fan of, of obviously Langford in college as was everyone else, but I think you hit on a key point where I think entering the draft that the gap between Cruz and Langford was, was way, way slimmer than people may have realized. And, Langford is is right there, at least with me, in terms of favorite college hitter um, mm -hmm. right there with Dylan Cruz. Um, I really don't think he's that far off at all. Um, if yeah, and he's he's been tremendous in his pro debut, both the batted ball data, the underlying metrics, his actual performance. He's already been pushed to double A uh, between rookie ball, high A, double A with most of these games coming with high A hickory. He's hitting 340, 445. 660, six home runs, 12 doubles, 20 walks, 22 strikeouts. So, so just the pure hitting ability he's shown on top of the massive power and just torque he gets in his swing and the approach, the ability to take a walk, uh, spit on bad pitches, swing at good ones. Like he is a complete package offensively and is part of the reason why this class was so good because you almost have two just elite, toolsy, productive college outfielders really the only question with Langford is 
is he going to be an up the middle player? He's only played a couple games in center field. I think he's probably going to be a corner outfielder, but I think he's going to give you more than enough hitting ability and power to profile just fine there. And I think really on any list that we have with, with Cruz and Langford on it, the gap between them is always going to look bigger than I think the actual talent gap between them. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you you touched on who he was as a player really well, but I mean, super physical. It's double plus bat speed, I think, plus raw power to all fields. You mentioned the the chance for him to even play some center field as he goes through professional baseball. I know that he played a couple of games there, I think, in Hickory, and so far it's just been exclusively left field for, for Frisco. Mm-hmm. But um, at the very least, he'll be, I think, used in center field um, as he continues to progress. And, I mean, the early returns have been – outstanding for Langford. He hit really well in Hickory um, and is already up in double A and has looked pretty good in his first couple of games. I think what makes him so special is, and you mentioned it is, is the approach and the ability to kind of take a free base and not, and, and, and be comfortable settling for a walk sometimes. So mm-hmm. um, in other years, this is a, a player that, that usually goes number one overall in the, yep. I think that the fact that he fell into the Rangers lap at, at fourth overall is um, is unbelievable for them, especially in a draft where they didn't pick again, as you mentioned, until, until the fourth round. I think that with, with what Lankford is going to do production wise and the type of impact that I think he'll have at the major league level. Um, I, I think having this draft basically just be focused all around him. Um, mm-hmm. be yeah, I'm excited to see, too how quickly he gets pushed because we've seen some teams be really aggressive but the rangers again both the rangers and the twins picking in the top five or i feel like are the teams that are most ready to win now uh rangers are obviously in a playoff race that invested heavily in the big league team like i want to see him pushed as quickly as he's able to be pushed uh, i think he's ready both from a, a skill perspective and from a physicality perspective more, more than ready from a physicality perspective i do think if if he gets to the big leagues his right-handed swing will be one of the most fun to watch in baseball. Just, just when he turns on a ball and connects, it's so powerful and strong. It's just a joy to watch. Some of the home runs that he hit in the college world series were just kind of mind boggling. Uh, and I'm also curious too, to see what the run tool settles into because one of the, one of the reasons why he was so exciting last fall with Florida is at all out of nowhere, seemingly he was turning in double plus run times and, and he's not consistently a double plus runner. We put 60 grade on his future run tool. I think that speed is part of the reason why scouts are kind of intrigued about whether or not he can play center field. But I am curious to see if he's able to add value on the bases. He does have a few bags already in pro ball, eight for 10 so far. So he's just really toolsy, really fascinating, interesting background, um, but really just a tremendous hitter um, that kind of squares his profile. Yeah, no, big time. And then I think, I mean, with the Rangers, they only had so many picks, but I like Alejandro Rosario in the fifth round um, mm-hmm. right-hander out of Miami. Um, he's a, a pitcher that I, I remember seeing it somewhere, but um, pitch usage with him, I think hindered him and, and hindered his performance. Some um, mm-hmm. he's throwing his fastball a lot, not throwing his slider as much um, in his summer stint on the Cape with Hyannis um, through his fastball. I think it was 60% of the time. Um, threw his slider a lot more at 23% of the time, which I know you're anyone listening and they hear a lot more and it's 23% of the time. I think he only threw it 15% of the time in the spring of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, again, struggled a little bit with, um, with control and 
and the back of the baseball card isn't going to look great. But I think that um, against Wood, um, for a pitcher like him, he'll he'll fare really well. Um, yeah. Mid to upper 90s fastball. I, I think that the slider is a plus pitch as well as the changeup being above average. So hmm. um, intriguing pick there um, in the fifth. Yeah, seeing, I'm glad you brought him up. I'm fascinated to see what the pitch profile is going to look like in pro ball. I'm like cautiously optimistic about Rosario because of those, like some of the, the conversations I've had with scouts who, who are with you and think that he could be unlocked a little bit. If he does throw the secondaries a bit more. But also just having seen him in high school, I mean, he was throwing mid-90s, getting into the upper 90s in the, in high school. And it always seems like, for whatever reason, the, the fastball just got hit around more than you would expect. I mean, it's it's difficult for high school players to turn around mid-90s velocity. But that happened quite a bit with him. He is a shorter player. I don't think he has the best extension in the world. It certainly doesn't seem like his fastball shape is the greatest. So if you have sort of dead zone fastball shape, no deception, poor extension... Like, I'm curious to see if they change the fastball, if he adds a cutter, if he just tries to just go more towards a sinker, um, like what they do to try and just get hitters off the barrel. Um, because, I mean, the damage that that hitters did against his fastball just this spring in college was fairly significantly better than, than what they managed against his secondary. So he's intriguing just from like a, how are the Rangers going to be able to transform him at the next level? And then my most interesting pick on day two I feel like the Rangers are always good for this prospect that I've never heard of. And I feel foolish afterwards for not having heard of this player really ever since Evan Carter, I feel like they've been tormenting me in this regard, but Caden Scarborough is a right-handed pitcher out of Florida who just sounded really fascinating when I was circling back after the pick and trying to get some information on him pretty under the radar for most of the scouting industry. A lot of the scouts I talked to, they kind of knew who he was, but but didn't go see him or were unfamiliar with him in general. Big frame, six foot five, 190 pounds. Um, the fastball is ticking up in the right direction. And I think maybe the most impressive tool for him right now is like a really sharp downer curveball with good fin- finish and spin. Um, so he's kind of this dark horse under the radar type who clearly the Rangers liked enough to give half a million dollars to and, and a name that I'll be curious to see how he progresses moving forward. Just because again, the Rangers always seem to pick a guy that I don't know about that turned out to be quite good. I, I remember seeing him somewhere, I think on Twitter, um, a bullpen video of his kind of blew up. And, and mm. I mean, that's a great call. He's super interesting, really athletic, as you mentioned. Um, I had two, one on day two, one on day three, maybe jumping the gun a little bit in the eighth round. They got catcher Julian Brock from Louisiana mm-hmm. um, hit three fifteen this spring, 17 doubles and 11 home runs. Um, pretty physical and, and larger in stature than the typical catcher. He's 6'3", 215. Um, th- but this summer, he was the best defensive catcher I saw. Moved really well. It's an easy plus arm. Um, I remember distinctly throwing a, a couple of plus runners with throws right on the money. Um, flashed above average raw power. I think um, if you can get a catcher where I think that even for as well as he hit, I think the defense is first with him. And if he can continue to hit even a little bit professionally, um, that's a, that's a great pick in the eighth. And then the 13th will privet from the college of Charleston. They got him for just one fifty. He's really, I mean, calling him a two pitch guy would almost be generous. Um, he, throws <laughs> his, he throws his fastball 88% of the time. Um, but he's kind of one of one in that regard in terms of, I'd say college pitchers through 80% of the time 
at a 37% miss rate on it. I mean, if yeah, it is high Floyd last year, I feel like his fastball is close to 90% rate. And, and then this spring he added the slider usage a bit. Yeah. And I mean, he could signal it on the mound and hitters would still swing and miss at it. I mean, <laughs> it just disappears about a foot or two from the plate. He throws from a super deceptive, almost slingshotty over the top arm slot. Um, he'll mix in, uh, he'll mix in a, I, he calls it a curveball. Um, it doesn't have a ton of depth, but I mean, if he can just land it for strikes, it doesn't even have to be good just to to keep theirs off balance and change their eyes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be an effective offering. I think that um, I'm not sure how often we've seen guys succeed with really one pitch um, professionally, especially at the big league level. So I think that he's going to have to get something else in his arsenal, especially where he's predominantly 92 to, to 95. It's not, insane velo and then so far at the complex he struggled um surprisingly with command and control it was he was always a strike thrower and in and around the zone um in college but so far yeah. eight, eight walks across three games the complex really really early return so yeah um, i wonder if it is one of those things where he's used to just dominating with one pitch in college and maybe he doesn't feel as confident he can do that in pro ball. And so he feels like he needs to be even more precise with the fastball and trying to hit the edges. You miss the edges and then the walk rate suddenly jumps up a little bit, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that repertoire develops over the next few years. Yeah, no big time. All right. Uh, you hit on the guys that I was curious about on day three with Privet, and you also hit on uh, Julian Brock, who's an interesting catcher with Brock specifically. I'll just say like, I'm curious to see how he handles secondaries and velocity. He didn't face a ton of great velocity this spring. Um, So those two are pretty important if you want to be a hitter uh, professionally. So I'll be curious to see like what the hit tool settles into. Uh, Can he catch up to, to good velocity? Can he handle the secondary stuff? Um, But, but to your point, the defensive stuff sounds really good. He's got power Um, fun draft for Texas, even though, not picking a lot. I, I really think that for most people, this will be the draft of White Langford. Um, though they're going to have some fun experiments with a lot of these pitchers. So, and um, there is there was one more on day three. That yeah, I go ahead. To mention, and he's a 14th round pick from the College of Southern Idaho, six two left-hander Josh Trentadu. Um, six two one eighty five was one of the better. I mean, I didn't do my due diligence with. I don't even know like what College of Southern Idaho. I think it's a JUCO. Um, yes. or maybe, yeah. So it's a Juco, um, was one of the better Juco arms, especially one of the better Juco left-handers this spring, um, 118 strikeouts and 66 innings pitched, um, interesting fastball, breaking ball combo, um, strike thrower. And so far he's been carving at the complex. So fun follow. They got him for 125. Um, and I think that he might end up being one of the better, I think hits that they have in this draft class, just given mm. both the lack of picks and then the arms, there's kind of, I'd say in my opinion, outside of Scarborough and maybe Rosario, there's not one that's, and maybe I think Hales has to be included in that, but there's not one that's really that much, I, I'd say better than the others. They went, I, I kind of liked that the Juco route that they went, Isaac Tiger's another one um, in the seventh, was up to 97, 98 this summer on the Cape. Um, so there are a lot of like really, really fun, I'd say interesting follows. I mean, clearly the focal point was Langford and, mm-hmm. and he'll remain the focal point um, <laughs> of this draft, but um, some sneaky fun guys to to keep an eye on and keep tabs on as you go further down the board. 
Yeah, and Josh Trentadu was a good one. I think he was the only player in 2023 who was drafted and signed out of Idaho. The Red Sox did take Robert Orlowski in the 20th round, who was um, probably the only prominent Idaho prospect out of the high school ranks. And if he had signed, he would have been just the third player, I believe, to be drafted and signed out of Idaho in the bonus pool era. Uh, but unfortunately, he did not sign. So that's Texas. Let's move on to... The Angels here. There, yeah. Let me pull up theirs. So they'll be fun. Um, sorry, I've got this Idaho filter on. Okay, Los Angeles Angels. They're picking 11th overall. They did not have a second round pick, uh, but they notoriously took Nolan Shaniwell at number 11 overall, who is already a big leaguer. Um, Florida Atlantic first baseman. They took Stanford third baseman Alberto Rios in the third round. They took Sam Houston outfitter Joe Redfield in the fourth round. And they took Harvard right-handed pitcher Chris Clark in the fifth round. A ton of different directions we could go here with the Angels draft. It's a fascinating draft. I, I thought that the consistent kind of trait that tied a lot of their players together in this draft were just a lot of hitters with really strong contact ability, vision, and swing decisions. Shaniwell obviously is going to be the poster boy for that for a, a decent amount of time, just considering what he's doing in the big leagues right now his bat of all data in college, but Alberto Rios and Joe Redfield also have similar traits in that regard. A few other hitters even further down the board, I think as well, Sam Brown on on day three stood out for some of those um, same reasons. But yeah, what are your thoughts on this draft? Because it, they clearly had a strategy they wanted to go with. We heard that they wanted a fast moving college player in that first slot I assumed at the time when we were hearing about the the sort of player profile they wanted, that they were going to get a college player on a deal um, just and, and the player would want that because they knew they would move quickly. The fact that they signed Shannon well at number 11 for slot surprised me then. And it even still surprises me now we had him ranked number 30. Um, so I think it's a massive win for, for Shannon. Well, obviously he got $5 million and is already a big leaguer. So what are your thoughts on this one, Peter? Um, yeah, this was, I mean, quite the draft class in general. Um, for the Angels, obviously, Shanuel is the headliner, and and he's already a big leaguer. I didn't think that um, even with how aggressive that the Angels have been in the last couple of years that we'd have a big leaguer. Um, yeah. And it was by Joel. I think he got called up in August, so – yeah, um, literally historic rise. I don't, I don't think, I think we can't be faulted for not expecting that one. Right. Yeah. But nonetheless, I mean, it's almost like stale to talk about what he did in college at this point. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he hit like, I think when we were talking about the golden spikes award and, and who should be considered for it, yeah, both Peter and I got votes for that. So just, just <laughs> uh, to get that out there, but yeah, no, I, he hit four fifty with, 18 doubles, 19 home runs. Um, but the calling card, as you mentioned, he had a 615 OBP with a 71 to 14 walk to strikeout ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, the approach and bat to ball skills are, I'd say, both off the charts against fastballs, especially. Um, he had an overall contact rate of 97%, um, <laughs> an in zone contact rate of 98% um, against heaters. And then I mean, I guess like now you got to talk about what he's doing at the big league level and, and leading up to that, he hit really well in rocket city and inland and in, and in the inland empire, um, in low a, uh, 
the big question with Sean Owell, again, is just going to be the impact and if he's going to be able to to hit enough to still be a productive and effective big leaguer. And you know what? Even with all the question marks surrounding his game and, and what kind of his profile might be in the future, um, he has held his own um, mm. so far in the in the big leagues, which is an unbelievable feat for someone who was playing in the Conference USA um, less than four months ago. He's hitting 286 um, with more walks than strikeouts. He only has one double. Um, I would really be curious to see the exit velocity numbers. I know he's got at least <laughs> one over 100. Um, but again, with him, the the contact rate has been really, really high. Um, mm. The in-zone contact rating of 89% against fastballs is impressive. Um, an overall contact rate of 82%, which for, I think, someone that's moving as fast as him um, is rather impressive. I think that defensively, he's strictly first base, even though he got some run in in, in right field both mm-hmm. last summer and at Florida Atlantic. But um, not to put, you know, any added pressure on Nolan. I don't even <laughs> – I don't think you'll ever hear this, but, I mean, he's going to have to really, really – really hit to be um an effective and productive big leaguer i think that right now he's a really fun story um for most because of how fast he got called up and how aggressive the angels are but i think that the allure might wear off a little bit and you're going to want to see more more balls and gaps in and over the fence and at the very least you're going to want to see him to really really um be able to rake so I'm very curious to see how this ends up transpiring. Yeah. And and I do wonder how much of it is just his, his approach to hitting at this stage. And even in general, he, even going back to high school, he was always a, a pure hitter more than a power guy. This spring we heard from some scouts who, who thought he had solid raw power in the tank. And I do think that he's probably going to have to sacrifice a little bit of contact and hit for more power to profile as a first baseman, I wonder how much of that is just him trying to slap the ball, make a lot of contact, get on base. Like if he's able to make that switch or if it's just a case where he really doesn't have a lot of power, I would probably lean more towards the former at this stage, just, just seeing a few of the home runs he hit in college. But at the same time, I do think the the exit velocities and the batted ball data is a bit concerning. His batted ball data is more similar to players like Enrique Bradfield and Chandler Simpson and a lot of kind of scrappy, skinny, up-the-middle players who are speed-oriented. And that just is really tough to play when you're a big league first baseman and you need to hit for impact and you need to drive the ball. I think he's probably going to wind up being one of the more polarizing players in this class for a decent amount of time because, I mean, he should get praise for posting a 430, essentially OBP, and 15 games at the big league level after basically going from mid-major college straight to the big leagues. Um, people are going to like the batting average, but there are also going to be people who are really skeptical of the power and of the impact. And it, it's just a really odd profile. It's a unique story. It was an aggressive pick from the angels in my mind that you could argue that has already paid off. And maybe you could argue that, that that's not a, a, a pick you would want there just given the impact. I think, one of the questions about this draft class for me is where is the impact? It is a lot of college contact oriented players. Um, and I think that's why I'm maybe most interested in Barrett Kent of their top 10 round guys, a high school right-hander, their, their first high school player. I think they took, 
Um, I'm really fascinated with him, expected him to get to Arkansas after he, he didn't go in the first five rounds or so, but they got him signed for basically a million dollars in the eighth round. Um, I guess we could talk about Shaney Will all day, but are there any players that you like uh, similar to, to me with Kent here in the eighth round or, or players that you think are maybe a little stepped on? Yeah, it was a, a, a really, really interesting draft class in general for the angels. Um, taking Rios in the third um, again was, I know it, a, a guy like that after what he did at Stanford isn't, is only going to be on the board for so long, but um, coming into this season, um, Rios had only logged seven collegiate at bats at Stanford. Um, ended up hitting 384 with 24 doubles and 18 home runs. One Pac-12 Player of the Year. Um, had as good a season as you can get, as you can have. Um, so far, he's he's hitting for, I'd say, a decent amount of power. Um, but he that is also coming with um, some swing and miss. And then I also like. Um, Chris Clark in the fifth um, out of Harvard. Uh, he's he's thrown the ball well so far in Inland Empire. Um, nice fastball slider combination with, I'd say, a, a, a changeup that's coming along. Um, I think developing that is going to be a key for him, especially if they're going to want to um, keep starting him. But um, I like Clark in the fifth. Manasi in the sixth is obviously, I'd say, a household name. Yeah, I'd say he's a household name at this point after what he did at Wake Forest. Um, one of the better college relievers, which is a round range um, that I think makes sense for. I even think maybe college. that one's pretty good value. I expected him to be top five rounds. I think maybe. Yeah. I think getting him down the board there was um, that's a win for them. He's getting hit around a little bit um, so far, but this is also coming off of a, a season in which he appeared 30 times for wake. Um, so I think getting an off season and, and getting some rest will be helpful for him. And then I think just, as I keep talking down this draft board, um, Zach Joyce in the 14th is fun because, you know, Ben is his brother. He's a, a made it up to the big league club with, with the angels currently rehabbing. Um, doesn't have the 105 mile per hour velocity <laughs> as his brother does, but what a bum. Um, yeah, I know he's only, he's only 96, 99 um, with a, with an above average slider, really similar delivery to his brother. Um, again, they got them for really cheap. And then as you mentioned, it's just kind of a bunch of, I'd say older college guys. And then just the, with the angels and how they're operating nowadays, um, Mac McCrossy, their 20th round pick, um, is in double a right now. So he's, he's played 33 games. He played three games at the complex. Um, and then they promoted him to double a, uh, which, yeah. You know, he's 23. I, I get it that you got to be, you know, guys of that age, their windows might be closing a little bit quicker than others, but um, they are super, super aggressive um, with their guys. But I guess McCrossy yeah. is holding his own to an extent. Um, there's, there's very clearly a direction at the Angels where they, they need or, or want to take Fast-moving players. Players are going to be at the big leagues quickly. The last three years, they've really employed this strategy. Everything about the players they selected this year makes you think that's continued. I mean, we straight up heard it uh, before the draft that that's who they were targeting in the first round, specifically someone who could move quickly. So that's clearly their MO in the draft, um, given their team this year. 
uh, and I guess some of the players they're they're really trying to win with before they're either their peaks are beyond us or they're not with the organization anymore. But that is why Barrett Kent stands out to me. He's kind of one of the only players in this class who it feels like was not really of that mold. So I, I hope he does well. I think he was a player who I wouldn't have been surprised to see picked in the third or fourth round. Obviously a big overslot deal here. He's a physical right-hander. He's got athletic bloodlines, multi-sport background. Um, in a solid three-pitch mix, it's been 90 to 94, up to 97 at times, early in outings. Um, decent slider, doesn't have the best spin rates, but it's got some depth. He's shown some feel for it at times. Chance to be solid average, maybe a 55 pitch if it takes a step forward. Um, I think just the feel of the pitch maybe will help that play up. And then he's also got a low 80s changeup with, with pretty good diving action. Going to need more feel for that pitch as well. But I, I like Barrett Kent just because you can dream on him moving forward, taking up a little bit in the secondaries. He's shown good control, workhorse kind of frame, even though we don't see many workhorse starters overall in the big leagues anymore. But that one's fun to me just because he's so unlike most of these other picks. But yeah, it'll be interesting to look at the Angels draft like five years from now and see how many of these guys reach the big leagues. They're, I, I think I would classify this as a safe draft, just given the profiles. Um, I wish they would have mixed up a little more like high upside high school toolsy talent in this one, but we'll see. They, they're they the only player, the only team with a big leaguer in this class, so they can, they can certainly they've got, they, they've got they that. Can beat, so they can beat that drum for, for quite a while, I would imagine. <laughs> exactly. All right, any last comments about the Angels before we move on to the A's? No, I mean, I'm kind of with you. It's not really like a ton of like loud names where you, like you said, I mean, there's not really one guy I think in here that you can circle and be like, okay, um, he's got, you know, stupid upside and a ridiculously mm -hmm. high ceiling. I think that they've all got, I, I'd say, relatively manageable, like I don't even want to call it low ceilings, but mm -hmm. um, I think you touched on it well, just um, rather safe picks i guess is the the only way to categorize it yeah all right let's move on to the a's one of the best teams in baseball at the moment they picked <laughs> number six overall this year so just missing out i mean the a's were probably the most unlucky team in the first ever draft lottery they were slated to pick i think two two or three overall dropped all the way down to number six um which proved significant this year i mean some years maybe going from two to six would be more negligible, but there was definitely a big drop off in, in perceived talent at the draft from five to six. You don't get access to that kind of elite uh, top tier phylum of players. And the A's decided to go with Jacob Wilson on a big underslot deal. Uh, Grand Canyon short, Grand Canyon University shortstop. In the supplemental round, they took Miles Naylor, a third baseman out of Canada, the younger brother of Bo Naylor and Josh. In the second round, they took Rutgers outfielder Ryan Lasco. In the third round, they took Milburn High School right-handed pitcher Stephen Echeverria. In the fourth round, they took Newbury Park High School right-handed pitcher Cole Miller. That's out of California. And in the fifth round, they took Texas A&M right-hander Nathan Detmer. Uh, I like a lot of the balance of this class, uh, but I'm curious what you think of this class and what you thought of the strategy to go with Jacob Wilson with the sixth overall pick. I think... If I'm remembering this correctly, Wilson was one of two players in the first round who signed for more than a million dollars under slot. The other player would have been Blake Mitchell at pick number eight, two spots later. So certainly the financials come into play 
with Wilson here, but I don't really think it's crazy on talent either. Uh, Peter, where are you at here? No, neither do I. And I know it was a little bit of a maybe polarizing pick, um, but I honestly, I mean, I was a fan. It was the, the performance at Grand Canyon was, was outstanding. Obviously with him, it's, it's the bat to ball skills and um, you know, they're elite with Wilson. I think the overall contact rate at Grand Canyon was I might get this number wrong, but I think it was right around 95%, at least in, at least in zone. Yeah. You're it's 94% overall contact rate. And then I have specifically fastballs in the zone, 97%. So you're, you're right in that ballpark. Right. And so, I mean, the bats of ball skills are exceptional. Um, Obviously the biggest question with, with players of this profile is the impact and how much power is he Mm going to hit for, um, at the next level. But I think what makes Wilson appealing is the fact that he's going to stick on the left side at shortstop, um, where I, I think he's a good defender. The arm is above average, um, moves well, good body at six, three, one ninety. The, bu- the bloodlines are apparent, um, mm. obviously with his dad. And then so far again, I mean, he's, I've, I've been really impressed and encouraged with how he's done so far, um, in professional baseball and high a Lansing in the Midwest league, which is, a notoriously difficult league to hit in. Um, he's hitting 318 so far um, with nine doubles um, in 23 games and one home run. Um, I know he's not going to be a guy that's going to put the ball over the fence really often. I think it's probably eight to 12 plus home run upside. Um, but I mean, for him to get the ball in the gap and down the line, um, it's um, it's an encouraging sign. And so far, mm-hmm the the similar bat to ball skills are on display um 94 in zone contact rate 96 percent against fastballs really not having any trouble at all um picking up the baseball um seeing spin so um mm-hmm. encouraging early returns so far for wilson i'd say yeah and and he did flash a little bit of, of sneaky pull side pop with wood last summer with team usa i think there's some projection to the frame still um, maybe he's just always going to be one of those lean players he's we have him listed at six foot three, one ninety. So maybe he can add some more power. I don't think you can really teach contact. So the fact that he is one of the kind of outlier players in that regard in this draft class is exciting. And and I agree with you. I think he's going to be a shortstop. I think he's got all the actions and tools for the position. Um, so even though you could maybe qu- classify this one as as like a safe pick in this range, I think the A's probably needed a safe pick in the first round they, they've taken a lot of shots on high risk high upside athletes in recent years not all of those have panned out so i, I kind of like them going in this direction and then they still added a little bit of upside and, and toolsy risky demographics later to sort of diversify their their draft portfolio this year like saving money early on wilson and putting it towards steven echeverria and cole miller two really exciting high school pitchers with stuff who I mean, Echeverria, especially, I, I didn't expect to sign everything I was hearing about him leading up to the draft. So he's such a tough sign out of Florida, but he really had a loud spring, transferred an above average fastball. It's been up to 97, took a jump from last summer when he was touching 94. Um, he's got a good slider. That's a, a high spin pitch in the 25 to 2600 range. Sharp break, chance to be above average. Chance for solid control as well. He also was 17 on draft day. So just a lot of things to like with him. And then with Cole Miller, uh, I think he's another just interesting high upside pitcher, much bigger frame than Echeverria, big and powerful, six foot five, 225 pounds. 
kind of like boring life to the fastball that's been up to 95. Um, the control, I think, maybe not quite as polished as Echeverria, but I really like getting these guys in the third and fourth round range. They paid for it, obviously. It's $3 million and a million, but I, I kind of liked adding these two after taking a trio of more, maybe not all of them up the middle, but but bats, Jacob Wilson, Miles Naylor, and Ryan Lasko. I, I like the balance, I would say, of their first five picks. Yeah, and I think that you, going back to Wilson a little bit, you brought up a really good point. Um, well, I think it's a safe pick. Um, I think that he also does have a chance to be an impactful big leaguer. I mean, I think that early on that's the direction in which he is heading. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also – one thing that I really liked that you said was, you know, that you can't really teach anyone how to hit. It's almost impossible to teach someone how to hit to an extent. Um, yeah. But you can to also to an extent – teach almost anyone to hit for some power to get into some power. And I think that Wilson is a part of maybe a dying breed of players that really, really know how to hit knowledge of the strike zone um, and are super, super polished in that regard. So um, I might be a a bigger fan than others of the Jacob Wilson pick. Mm -hmm. Um, And then going into the third round, Echeverria might, be my favorite pick in the draft outside of oh wow that's big praise yeah outside of jacob wilson i'm a i'm a big fan of him he blew up obviously last summer in this spring so you're saying these two guys are your favorite in the whole draft or this draft class oh excuse me the a's draft class the a's oh i i was about to say two your two favorite picks in the whole draft both a's (laughs) that's what i thought you were saying at first no no i i i I worded that poorly but in the a's draft class one is obviously wilson and i think next it's Mm -hmm. um fastball yep. up to 98 good carry through the strike zone um slider flash plus there's another breaking ball in a, in a curve ball um also showed off a change up i think he moves really well there's some projection remaining um clean delivery with i think a a pretty quick arm and i think that the the upside is 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 pretty significant with someone like echeveria and i mm-hmm. think that he's someone that's going to start throughout professional baseball and honestly in my mind has I think number two starter upside. Um, I think he is um, that good a pitcher. And then going further down the board um, with Oakland, like you mentioned, I really like Cole Miller. He's the more prototypical, like you said, pitcher build 6'6", 225. Um, And then Nathan Detmer in the fifth is an interesting one. They got him for Mm -hmm. $430,000. Had, I'd say, pretty significant chatter and, and buzz heading into the spring. Um, as someone who's going to lead the AM rotation. Um, and then again, the fastball slider combination is really, really good with Detmer. So um, a few interesting picks with Oakland. I actually, I like this draft class. I'd say definitely better than, than LA's. Um, I think that it's not as flashy as, you know, Seattle's or Houston's obviously. And they don't have that, maybe that necessarily headliner like Langford. Obviously Wilson is the, the closest they have to it. But I, I, I think that this is a, it's an interesting class. And then their last pick in the draft, um, Diego Barrera from Loyola Marymount. He's a six foot lefty. He's 23. The ceiling is a, a five is a, is a fifth starter, but um, strike thrower, durable kind of high mileage arm through 99 mm-hmm. innings at Loyola Marymount only walked 11. Um, good field of pitch. Um, super, super polished West coast arm. So um, there is really no, I think upside there, but they got him for next to nothing. So yeah, 
Um, they got him for 50K. So I, I think it's a, um, a rather solid draft class with, I think, you know, I have Wilson circled, Echeverria circled, um, and then obviously Naylor, um, the youngest of the three Naylor brothers, Miles. Um, I think there's some exciting guys in the top five rounds. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a fun draft class. They clearly prioritized big league bloodlines. Jacob Wilson's father played in the big leagues. Jonah Cox in the sixth round, his father was a big leaguer. And then Miles Naylor, obviously both Josh and Bo um, were first rounders and are big leaguers at this point. So if they get three, that'll be that'll put that, that family in pretty rare air. Um, so I, I'm intrigued with Naylor as a, a hitter and the, intrigued with his power potential as well. One name that I'll mention on day three that I was always a big fan of just because I saw him great in person was Luke Mann. He is exceptionally old for the class. Um, he had been with Missouri for, for quite a long time. Um, so I don't know how many, how much tools we have here or if he's going to offer a lot of value defensively. I think he's more of like a workman like defender at third base, but I was always impressed with, with his hitting ability as a left-handed hitter. He's got some power. Um, so for $50,000, I think that's that's great. I thought he had a chance to, to get a little more than that just based on his production, but but clearly the age and the fact that he was playing, basically everyone is younger than him this year. Uh, he had 311, 428, 680 with 21 home runs um, and a 23% strikeout rate. So I, I think that's a fun senior on day three to kind of cap off what Really, we've, we've talked pretty positively about the A's draft class so far. So I, I think I'd put that right behind right behind Seattle and Texas for me of, of this division. And I think you could even make a case for this one being second to Seattle, just given the fact that the Rangers had so few picks. But I, I just yeah. love Wyoming for too much, I think. No, it's an interesting class for sure. And I think that like maybe this this class could be ahead of Texas, just like you said, with the lack of picks. Um, I personally like Houston and Seattle's class more. Um, but as you mentioned, like there are guys up and down this board that, you know, you're kind of like, Oh, this player is interesting. This guy's interesting. Drew Conover from Rutgers um, yeah. started some for the Scarlet Knights, but I think he's got a chance to, to be a really effective reliever with a bowling ball sinker, super, super tough to pick up slingy, mm -hmm. low three quarters, borderline sidearm slot with an effective slider. Um, I think that's great value on day three early on with 150,000. Um, Nate Nankle from Cal State Fullerton, um, super, super physical kid. Um, I really like the body at 6'3, 190. Um, hit well this spring for the Macedons. Um, I, I think that again in the seventh round for, for 300K, um, both him and Jonah Cox are exciting picks. And then um, Will Johnston was an effective bullpen arm for, for Texas A&M and they got him in the 13th for 150. So, um, uh, an underrated, I'd say draft class for, mm -hmm. for Oakland. Yeah. It's, it's not been a lot of positives for, for Oakland really this entire year. So maybe if you're an A's fan, like maybe you can, you can feel a little better after this podcast. Although I'm, I'm not really sure what happens to A's fans once they move to Vegas. Um, but either way. They, they should be picking higher than six next year. Uh, we'll see if they get lucky, luckier than the first year with the draft lottery. Um, but yeah, that's the A's and that's the American League. We are done with our draft reviews of the American League. On our next podcast episode, we will start breaking down or at least reviewing the National League draft classes. 
Um, Peter, anything you want to uh, close with? Uh, anything that, that you're working on you want to let people know about or anything you want to plug, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, as usual, if you're a fan of any level of baseball, we have you covered over at Baseball America with whatever you need, whether it be on the podcast network or online. Um, there really is something for everybody. And then personally, what I'm working on um, is probably going to start a freshman spotlight series. There's a a good crop, as always, of of incoming freshmen who um, made it to campus as opposed to to signing professionally. So um, perhaps a weekly um, write-up highlighting one freshman that I'm particularly excited about. Um, won't be too much, around 400 words or so, but paint a picture of who that player is and the type of impact you can expect them to have. Um, for their respective college program. Yeah, that is awesome. I'm looking forward to to that series. I think it'll be um, fun to see what you think of them, how they're going to fit in on their college campus, because we are in, in that kind of part of the schedule, I, I guess I should say, for these college teams. Fall ball's kind of going to get started. We're going to start to get a feel for how these teams might be coming together. Um, so it feels like college baseball is a long ways away, but it's still an important time in the calendar for them. So that'll be fun. Look out for that. And like Peter said, check out BA in general for for all of our coverage on the site, on the podcast network, and really appreciate you guys sticking with us and listening to this podcast. So uh, thank you. Thank you to the BA subscribers who allow us to do what we do. Um, and for Peter, I'm Carlos. We'll see you next time, everybody.